So today is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Next week we have Easter Sunday service. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take this large chunk of chapter 14 because we've been working through chapter 14 uh, through, the, through Lent. And kind of, kind of in, in uh, I don't know, in answer to, but in the context of the world and what's kind of going around in the world. And so we've gotten through the first six verses of chapter 14. And what I want to do is I want to kind of continue on. I'm going to summarize verses 7 through 11, and then I'm going to head into verses 12 through 19. Now, the chapter goes on beyond that, but I just want to kind of focus on, on those verses because in those verses, Jesus speaks of the consequences of him dying. Jesus speaks of the consequences of him leaving and going to be with the Father. Now, he's always wanting to bring comfort to the disciples because they're a little bit stressed out right now. Because Jesus has told them, I'm leaving you. I'm going. And they've been with him all of this time. But the comfort that Jesus brings to the disciples is it's a comfort that's based in truth. And it's different from what the world brings. Jesus brings Comfort by speaking the truth of the gospel, by speaking the truth of God. And I would argue that real peace of heart only comes through, lasting peace of heart only comes through understanding and knowing the gospel and knowing Christ. Now, last week we kind of looked at good old Tom, and and Tom is voicing his concerns, he's voicing his doubts to Jesus. He's like, you say we know where you're going, but we don't. We don't know where you're going. And if we don't know where you're going, how in the world are we going to know how to get there? And what does Jesus do? Jesus speaks truth to comfort him. Jesus says, Tom, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus speaks truth into him, speaks truth into his heart to offer him comfort. And then Philip will chime in, and this is where we get into um, verses 7 through 11. Philip chimes in and says, "Just, just show us the Father. And Jesus is like, come on, Phil, man, how long have you been with me? If you've seen me... You've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And Jesus kind of will, will push it just a little bit further and say, you know, if you don't believe that, just, just look, at the, look at the things that I've done. That's the work of the Father through me. I and the Father are one. There, there, there's no separation. The things I do are what the Father is doing through me and in me and in the world. All that you've seen All that you've experienced, Phil, is our dad working in this world. And that kind of of summarizes verses 7 through 11 as he's speaking to Philip about the work of the father. But now as we continue in the story, we know that the work of Jesus isn't finished. In fact, the most important work of Jesus is about to take place. And that's the work on the cross which this is all leading up to. Palm Sunday is the celebration of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he, he comes in like a rock star, man. People are just like, woo, it's G-. I mean, a little bit more than that, but you, you get the point. And, and he rides in and people are just ecstatic that he's, that he's coming in. But this road that he's traveling is the road of the cross. The road that he's coming in on is, is, is his time running out. Eventually, he will be 
tortured, beaten, killed, buried. He will rise from the dead. He will ascend into heaven. And this is the work of atonement. This is the road of our salvation. This is the beginning of Holy Week. You know, as I spend time in the story, in in the Gospels, especially in John, as I've been reading through uh, chapter 14, I get the sense that Jesus knows what his disciples really need. Like, like he must know, I, I must. He knows what's in their heart. He knows that the struggle that they're going through. And he tells them, listen, I, I am going away, but don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe, in, you believe in God, believe in me. Ultimately, you're going to be with me. Like, I go to, I go to prepare a place for you in the Father's house. And he's got, he's got room for everyone there. And then, and then I'm going to come back for you. And I'm going to bring you with me. So don't worry that I'm leaving. But for them, at least I get, for me, you know, and, and like I said, I like to put myself sometimes in there. I'd be thinking, okay, what about in the meantime? All right, you're going and then you're going to prepare, and then you're going to come back for, and you're going to take us, you're going to take, yeah, but what about in the meantime? What about in the today, and the tomorrow, and, and the next day? You know, we as the church today, we've gotten kind of used to the physical absence of Jesus. Jesus hasn't walked around on this earth as a man in, in a very long time, but the idea of him leaving for his disciples is, is horrifying. And they must be asking themselves, what's going to happen to us? Like, what are we going to do? He's gone, and we have to stay. He's, he's the leader, and we're, we're, the, we're the followers, and, and this, is, this is about him, and he's doing all this stuff, and he's doing the teaching, and, and he's doing the miracles. And yeah, he sent us out a few times, but he sent us out, and we came back, and we reported to him, and we were really excited, and, and so was he, I think. But, but what's going to happen if he goes? Will the work continue? Does this guy have anything for us for today, for now? I mean, that whole eternity thing will be with them forever. That's all well and good when I get to forever, but, but, but we're here. We're in the now. We're in today. Does the gospel offer us anything for today except the promise that we get to be with Jesus in the future? It's a worthy question to ask. Jesus never shies away from a, a good question. Jesus will never shy away from an honest question from the heart. And he tells, he tells the boys, there's a lot of good going to come from me leaving. There's a lot of good that's going to happen when I, more than you can ever imagine. In fact, in chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus said, You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. What Jesus is saying, man, if you could just get a hold of this, if you can understand what's happening, what's taking place, you guys would be jumping for joy that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I am. But, 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 I, but I think he understands, yes, you're here and you don't get it and you don't understand, and that's why your heart is troubled. And in their defense, the Holy Spirit has yet to come upon them to reveal the truth. When the Holy Spirit comes on them, everything clicks. Everything begins to make sense. What I find with in church worlds and especially holidays of, of religious significance, 
Easter, Christmas, even, even uh, our midweek service this week, we really are confronted with the person of Christ. We're really, it's kind of first and foremost now, Easter's coming, and, and if you've been in church at all at any point in your life, this, this whole, yes, it's Easter bunny and Easter eggs and Easter egg hunts and, and all that, that's all well and good, but, but we are confronted with Jesus. And how do we view the life of Christ? How do you view the life of Christ? How do you view the death of Jesus? As I was kind of wrestling with those questions, did you ever feel like shortchanged because you didn't get to walk with him on this earth? Like, because you didn't get to hear his words and to sit at his feet and to see the miracles? Sometimes I think, I wonder, like, if I was alive back then, I wonder if I would have got picked. Like, as one of the 12. I mean, I'm an uneducated, blue-collar type of guy. I mean, I think I could have been in the running for one of the disciples. I at least could have gave Peter a run for his money because I could be sometimes a jerk. And and so I think I could have nailed that job. But did you ever think, like, what, what would it be like if you were there? What have you gotten picked? Or do you feel like the disciples got one up on you? Like, man, I got to walk with Jesus. But as I go to the scripture, what I realize is they don't have anything up on us, even though they walked with Jesus. There's a story at the end, uh, Jesus rises from the dead and the disciples tell Thomas, old Thomas. And Thomas says, I am buying it. I ain't buying it until I can see him with my own two eyes. I ain't buying it until I put my fingers in his wounds. And finally, Jesus appears to him and says, have at it, Tom. And, and, he, and he does it and he realizes this is Jesus, and he, and he says these words, my Lord and my God. Thomas realized Jesus was standing right in front of him, the resurrected Christ, the Messiah. But Jesus answer him, answers him this way, blessed are those who have not seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen me and believe. You know what that means? I'm blessed. You know what that means? You're blessed. Blessed are those who have not seen Christ and yet still believe. Physical seeing doesn't have a a, a one-up on anyone or anything. In fact, the people, some of the people who saw him and witnessed his miracles and heard his teaching in the last days, they were the ones screaming to crucify him because he was blaspheming. God. And in that death, how do you view his death? Do you view it as a tragedy? I was thinking this week, imagine how thick the New Testament would be if Jesus had another 30, 40 years of ministry. 30, 40 years of teaching and and miracles and and just just living. I I mean, what would the New Testament look like? But because of his death, because of his death, we been blessed because of his death we have been given blessing that goes beyond salvation it just goes it goes beyond just forgiveness of sin in, in eternal life i say with all reverence that jesus going to the cross and dying is the best thing that's ever happened for humanity the best thing that could ever happen for human beings was christ going to the cross 
so these last few weeks, we've been pressing into the question about the world and a troubled world and how serious things are. And, and uh, things seem to be escalating. It seems like there's something every week, not only in our own little personal circles, but, uh, you know, an, an airliner gets crashed. 150 people die. It's like, man, this is something every week. And there seems to be less and less peace, both, both I think, internally and externally. Because there's all this just schmutz flying around us. And it's just, it just doesn't feel right. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, hey, don't worry, I'm coming back. I, I got this. And I'm going to clean this all up. And, and I'm going to make everything new. But then he's going to push it even further because, like I said, I think he believes, he knows that his disciples need something for in the meantime. They need something for today. There are consequences that we live in in this very moment because Jesus has gone away, because he has died, he rose again, and he's now with the Father. There are positive blessings that we have. And that's where I wanted to spend the rest of our time on this morning. In verse 12, John 14, says, Very truly, I tell you, these are the words of Jesus. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Here's just a kind of a core basic truth of the gospel, that just because Jesus leaves doesn't mean the work that he's been doing stops. In fact, it's going to continue the work of Christ will continue on this earth and we get to take part in it and it's, we're going to even do greater things than Jesus did. Can you imagine that? Doing greater things than God. That's a pretty big deal right there. It's very relevant for his disciples and it's very relevant for us. Now remember, they, they believe he's the Messiah. He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. And they're thinking if he goes away, then, then all of this comes to an end. Man, we were on the ground floor of a revolution. We were going to be like, we were going to be next to the king. And now he's going away and they're a little bit freaked out. Jesus says, no, things aren't going to stop. Things will not stop because I'm going away. In fact, it's going to pick up steam. And you guys are going to do more than, more than you can imagine, more than, more than I've done, bigger and better. Now, the problem with this verse is right away we begin to think of the miracles. We could get to do bigger and better miracles than Jesus well, that's not what this is saying. That's not what this is speaking into. Because unless you can flap your arms and fly or shape shift into a gerbil, you're not going to do more, more miraculous things than Jesus. Jesus spoke to the wind and the sea and said, quiet. And it, and it quieted down. Jesus healed the sick. Some people just touched him and they were healed. He cast out demons, not with a, a, a big type of service thing. He looked at the demon and said, get out. And the demon would leave. They were terrified when he came into their presence. He raised people from the dead. I'm not sure you can do anything bigger than what Jesus did in the miraculous. Unless, again, like you can flap. If anybody can flap their arms and fly, have at it. You know, that would be pretty cool. But what he's speaking about in this verse is, is gospel stuff. It's the stuff that we read about in the beginning of Acts as the church gets going. 
See, sometimes when we misunderstand Jesus, we only look at the stuff that he did or the things that he said. We kind of miss who he really is. We miss the bigger picture of who he is. There's a story in John chapter 12 where some Greeks want to have an uh, audience with Jesus. And so they go to the disciples and, and the disciples tell Jesus, hey, there's some Greeks here. They want to talk to you. Now, I'm sure the Greeks, they've, they've heard about this guy. They know about his, his teaching, amazing teaching with authority. And they hear about the miracles and, and these in and, and class. Basically, the Greeks are known for the for their desire to understand and knowledge and wisdom and, and philosophy, and they love to, to talk about those things. And, and so they, they come, and they want to talk to Jesus, and Jesus kind of shrugs them off. Jesus doesn't speak with them. And what he says is this, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. That's what he says in response to these people wanting to come talk to him. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He knows. He knows that in his unglorified body, as he walks this earth, as he teaches, even as he does the miracles, people are only going to see him as a teacher or a rabbi or a miracle worker, or even just the Jewish Messiah. But in his death, in his death on the cross, Jesus becomes savior of the world. He will lift, uh, he will draw all people to himself, savior of the world. And so it wouldn't have made a difference if he talked to the Greeks. They would have, he would have just been just kind of going through the motions. They weren't going to fully understand it. Salvation, our salvation, happened at the cross. That's where the ball got rolling. That's in the, that's the, the, the moving of God that has saved us. Jesus was always speaking about his death and his resurrection, and the guys didn't understand it. They couldn't fully grasp what was going on. And it was only after the Holy Spirit came upon them that they finally understood what was going on. Jesus on the cross became the savior of the entire world, of all the world, of all people. And look at his story. So he, he's this preacher, and, and he starts to preach, and the kingdom of God is at hand, and, and repent. And he builds this following, and more and more people begin to follow him. And there's stories about him just being uh, crowds of people waiting for him and wanting to see him. But eventually, as time goes on, he starts to lay down some really deep, heavy teachings. Hey, you want to eat my flesh and drink my blood? And people are just like freaked out. And this whole big following begins to, to go away. They begin to walk away from him. In fact, it got so bad, he looked at his disciples and said, you guys leaving too? You guys going also? And then when he finally gets to the cross, there's only a few left. There's only a few of his believers left, his disciples, his, his friends. And when he died, those few friends were hiding in a room, locked away. They had no idea what was going on. They were They were afraid. And then Jesus rises from the dead. He walks among them. And then he ascends into heaven. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on this ragtag group of fearful people. And everything changes. Peter stands up in the power of the Holy Spirit and he gives this sermon. And what happens? Three thousand people believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. 3,000 people with one sermon. 
realized Jesus was the savior of the world and put their faith in him. That's the work that Jesus is talking about that we will do bigger and better. We have been given the power and the authority to speak the gospel and and to speak it so people will understand it and know it and receive it. And yes, I do believe in the miraculous. I do believe that miracles take place today and, and, and people, you know, God will use people in very amazing, miraculous ways. But what this is speaking of, that we are empowered to preach the gospel, to share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. The cross had to happen before those 3,000 people could have, could have received Christ as their savior. It's like the Holy Spirit, he came and, and he, he applied the cross to humanity. And in that application, we have been empowered. And what do we see? Every nation, every creed, every color of skin entering into God's kingdom. We have been given the power to do greater things. Jesus is a perfect example of how to grow your church smaller but yet the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclaiming of the gospel is how we engage and live for the kingdom today. And Jesus will press on. Verses 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. These two verses we can probably spend weeks on discussing what it means and discussing what it doesn't mean. Jesus is not talking about just an unconditional okay for every prayer that's prayed by somebody who believes in Jesus. Life, life dict. I mean, if you've experienced life even for a day, you know that's not how it all goes down. That's not how this thing plays out. Normal life experience will tell us that we don't get the answer to every prayer like we want every prayer to be answered. See, verses like this need to be taken in the context of where they are, of what they've been written in. And in the context of chapter 14, what precedes it and what goes after it are very important. Jesus says that all who believe will do greater things than these, the greater things than these is to proclaim the gospel that we have been empowered to speak truth and love and Jesus into people's lives. And the work of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel is what will bring glory to God. But Jesus wants his disciples to understand that just because he's leaving, he's not abandoning them. He's not leaving them as orphans, as later on it would say. In fact, he will still hear them. He will still hear their prayer. He will still hear the conversation. And he will bring those requests before the Father. And and in that, they and we will be given everything that we need to proclaim the gospel with power and authority. That's what it's speaking here. That if you pray, God, give me the words, be assured that he will give you those words. That you will be able to proclaim the good news in power and authority, whatever you ask. Because that's that's what brings glory to the Father. That's what brings glory to the Son. The kingdom, the kingdom um, being engaged by his church, that's what brings glory to the Father. And as we go, we get to speak the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. This is how the work will continue. This is how the work goes forward. Remember the disciples are feeling a little bit abandoned right now. They're a little bit worried. Jesus tells them, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to dad. And dad's going to send you someone. Dad is going to send you the spirit of truth. You're not going to be left alone. And not only will the Holy Spirit be with you, the Holy Spirit will be in you, empowering you. Empowering you. Jesus is kind of like the, he's kind of like the teacher on the outside. And yet the Holy Spirit is the teacher on the inside. And all that Jesus has spoken will be revealed to us by the power of the Spirit that lives in us. The Spirit opens up the sacredness and the holiness of God. And it will lead us into deeper and deeper truths, deeper knowledge, deeper intimacy, deeper wisdom, God wisdom, God intimacy, and God knowledge. Look at what Paul writes in Corinthians about the Spirit. However, as it, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is the revelation of the spirit within us. The disciples went from hiding in a room, terrified of what was going to happen. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they just go out into the public square and they proclaim that Jesus is the savior of the world. And in that power, in that anointing, 3,000 people in that moment said, yes, we get it now. They said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? Believe. And they believed. And the last thing Jesus will speak, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. There's a lot going on in this, this text, these few verses uh, that are kind of an, an underlying theme. Again, you always have to read the scripture in the context of where it's written. We just can't proof text and pull things out and make it kind of fit what we want it to fit. And this text here is one of the, the most baffling yet amazing texts that Jesus will speak during his whole discourse and at the end of John's chapter. Jesus is leaving. And because Jesus is leaving, he is going to come back and live with us today. Jesus has to go so he can come back. This is not the future eternal coming back, uh, second coming thing, but Jesus leaves so he can come back and, and live with us today. He says, don't be troubled. I will be with you today in this very moment and in in, in every day from here on in if you'll have me. He says, if, if you, if I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to knock on the door. If you open the door, I'm going to come in and I'm going to have supper with you, man. That, that's, that's Jesus' promise to the church. There is no doubt of the love of the Father through the Son because Christ has gone to the Father and yet we've been given these blessings to live in today, in the now, from him. 
whatever may happen to us, whatever the world may do to us, whatever may be, may be taken from us, whatever hardship overwhelms us, Christ will remain with us. No matter what, Christ remains with us. He came and went in the flesh, and then he comes back to dwell with us. He died not only to forgive our sin, he died that we could live, that we can have life. Life in abundance. That's the promise of Christ. Only because he went to the cross. Only because he died on the cross. Only because he has left this world physically and gone to be with the Father, yet he remains with us. His very presence here, the power of the Spirit here. I think it's time that the church begin to walk in that and rise up to that. To proclaim the gospel not like a jerk, but with authority and grace and love. Father, I want to thank you for your word. We thank you that you've caused this word to be written for us. And Lord, as we go through this, this week of preparation to celebrate on Easter Sunday morning, I pray that uh, we would just be very aware of the blessing you have given us in the here and the now to live this life for the kingdom. I pray that we'd be kingdom-minded. I pray that we would be others-minded. I pray that we would walk in the authority that we have, that we would not shrink back. I pray that we would know who we are, children of the living God. And I would pray even this week that you'd give each one in this room the opportunity to share Jesus just once in their own way, knowing that you have given us all that we need. We love you. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.